We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We Hello, listeners. You're in for another Trentless episode. Unfortunately, he couldn't make it with us today, so you're just going to have to make do with listening to what I had to eat most recently. Most recently, I was at Sophia Alexis's home, friend of the show. She was on for Gone Girl, When Harry Met Sally, and the Mission Impossible franchise. And um, while there, we decided to have kind of a brunch-type meal, and she made some French toast, which I thought was lovely. And I'm actually about to go to her house again because her father decided to have, well, okay, so they realized that they have this like 14-pound turkey in their freezer that they just, I don't even know when this is from, but they realized they hadn't cooked it, and he was like, we need to cook this turkey. It's been too long. So they're having a sort of get-together at their house where uh, this 14-pound turkey is going to be cooked. Um, and so we'll see how, how good that tastes. Um, but my French toast was lovely. What's also lovely is the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week we are continuing our interview with Oren Sofer, co-cinematographer of The Creator, Gareth Edwards' newest film. Um, that's right, folks. This is part two, and if you didn't listen to part one, go 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 give that a listen but um he talks about getting involved with the movie in that first episode but this second episode is in my opinion much more interesting he goes into the sort of interesting way in which they decided to go about filming this movie uh, both in terms of the camera and sort of filming methodology i thought this was really interesting it made it kind of gave me a new uh, I had an appreciation for Gareth Edwards, but I think a new appreciation for his methodology, which I found interesting and kind of inspiring. So yeah, we get into the Sony FX3, which is the sort of prosumer camera that this movie was shot on. We get into, they filmed in 80 locations, guys. And let me tell you, I shot my senior thesis last year in probably like three locations all within New Brunswick, New Jersey, and that was its own nightmare. Uh, so 80 locations sounds kind of fucking awful, if I'm being honest. Um, but having seen the movie, it, I think it pays off. You see the end result. And um, maybe I should just stop blabbering on and just sort of get right into the interview. Should I, should I cue it now? Y yeah, I think I'm going to cue the interview.
you spoke uh, just like a little bit about like lens choices and um, sort of lights and stuff like that. And I'm very interested in lenses and like, just if you could talk a little bit and also, I mean, I don't know if this ties in as much, but just the, this movie is famously kind of shot on a Sony FX three. Um, and that's, you know, mind boggling to a lot of Mm -hmm. people. Um, so yeah, if you could talk about, I guess, like equipment and, um, working with that and, you know, your experience with that on this movie. Yeah, totally. So this was a part of the movie that I stepped into. Greg and Gareth had sort of already sorted all this, all this out. And, and Greg was testing this gear on some commercials and like, it was all, they knew that this was the approach, but then when he told me about it initially, I mean, I had that same sort of mind blown reaction of like, really Mm -hmm. that, that camera, (laughs) like, I had, I just, it wasn't on my radar and I think it wasn't on a lot of people's radars who, you know, work in higher end commercials, music videos, narrative, like they're not really thinking about the FX3, but Gareth really brought this like outside of the box thinking to this project. And, uh, you know, his first film monsters, like he shot on his, by himself, he was his own DP Mm -hmm. and editor and director. And he did all the visual effects on his laptop, you know, in his bed, in his bedroom. Like that's the famous origin story of monsters that put Gareth on the map. Uh, and he shot it on the EX three, the, the, it's like a Sony camcorder from the late two thousands and uh, with a lettuce adapter. This is for the younger listeners. They won't have any idea what this is, but basically it was like a lens adapter that you could put on the front of these like micro four thirds camcorders. And it allowed you to put like, cinema lenses on the front mm. and okay. uh it sort of expanded the uh the field of view and made the depth of field shallow so it was like a trick to using camcorders and making them look like more cinematic um so yeah for a certain generation that's very relevant my generation <laughs> the the old people but uh for the youth see it's like y- y'all don't know how good you have it since the 5d came out it like changed everything but before the 5d people had to find some creative solutions <laughs> to getting like shallow depth of field and other like cinematic looks. So anyway, Gareth like really wanted to take that filmmaking approach and apply it to a bigger scale. And that was sort of the guiding light for this project. And that included the equipment, like not being boxed in by the conventional gear that you like quote unquote have to use on a film of a certain size and scale and, and all the limitations that come with that. Like he wanted something really small and really lightweight that he could shoot for extended takes, shoot 360, like handheld without any um, physical strain. And um, uh, like they did a little bit of this on Rogue One, like Gareth Mm -hmm. operated quite a bit on that, but they shot on the Alexa 65. And I think like he found very quickly that that camera is just not the easiest thing to like shoot in this gritty, like guerrilla indie style um, for, you know, cause it weighs a thousand pounds and also requires like this big crew to operate it and everything and support it. So yeah, they found the FX three. I, 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 I think they tested a few other cameras, like some DSLRs, but the FX three lets you shoot, um, raw. It, it, it has, um, it has like a 16 bit raw output. Now it doesn't record it internally. You need a external, uh, Ninja recorder, Atomos Ninja. I think there's some other recorders too, but that's the one we used and it it records ProRes raw 
And uh, that, yeah, they just found that that image quality and that um, bit depth was like more than enough to provide a post visual effects, There's a ton of visual effects in the film, uh, color grade, like everything. It was just like the most surprisingly secretly robust format that was out there in this tiny little camera that costs $4,000. Um, but the, but the, 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 the origin really was to just get something small and, mm-hmm. and lightweight. Uh, the same with the lenses. I mean, basically, you know, they wanted to shoot anamorphic. They wanted, uh, something with vintage characteristics, like a seventies anamorphic lens that reminds you of alien and blade runner and all the movies that we were kind of stealing from the good stuff. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, the stuff we were liberally, uh, stealing from, but, uh, yeah, so it led them to the Koa. It was, and it was basically one of those silly, it was basically one of those funny things where you're like, Oh, why did you choose that lens? Like, did you test a bunch of them? And And it's like, it was actually a lot simpler. They just needed the smallest, most lightweight lens that kind of fit, fit those characteristics. And that was the, the Koa anamorphic. So that's how they landed on all that. And, um, yeah, I inherited all of it. I mean, it was, uh, like I said, all that stuff was in place when I came on board. So I sort of got through that initial reaction, the same reaction that everybody has when they hear it, that they that we shot in the FX3. And then once you get past that reaction, it just like became a camera. I mean, it's it's funny how throwaway it was on set. Like we just you just wouldn't think about it, especially looking at the footage. You just it wouldn't occur to you at all. Like yeah. it just became so natural. But, uh, yeah, obviously it's, it's a novelty. I mean, I, I understand the interest around it, but I think what's encouraging to me about it is this idea that at the end of the day, like the tool actually doesn't matter. I mean, the, it was selected for logistical reasons and ergonomic reasons. Uh, and it's, it was amazing for that. But, uh, like at the end of the day, the image is the image. I mean, you know, sure. raw, raw is raw. Like a lot of these cameras can shoot pretty good images these days, which I think is the ultimate conclusion from all of this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And when I was, I saw the movie yesterday and it's got like a very textured look. How much of that is sort of um, from like, that's how the camera shoots and how much of that was uh, sort of um, added in post or enhanced in post? Well, a lot of it's in post. I mean, the, the camera does have some inherent grain and noise, sure. especially because, uh, so the camera has two, I'm going to get a little technical here for the, uh, the tech sure. uh, uh, among the listeners, but the camera has two base ISOs. So there's a, um, uh, 640 mm-hmm. is the sort of official base ISO. And then it has a secondary base ISO of 12,800. Oh yes. Which, uh, is also, that was, that was my reaction too. you're like, huh? That's that's new. Okay, <laughs> haven't really worked in that realm Field. before. Yeah. yeah, that little echelon of exposure. But this will be interesting. And um, now the, the interesting th- the interesting thing about it also is that it actually isn't a dual ISO sensor. So the the ISO it does have one base ISO, but the software in the camera it basically just like does a ton of denoising at twelve thousand ISO to make it like super super crisp and clean. I don't know why they picked that ISO. I have no idea. This is something inherited from the A7S. Like basically it's the same sensor. So there's, uh, there's some connection there. To be honest, I never looked into it. I'm actually not very, very techy, which is ironic because around this movie, I like inevitably have to talk about the tech a little bit because it's interesting, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I've never been like a tech head. Um, sorry to anybody who is, that's not a judgment. <laughs> it's just, that's just, it's just because I'm, 
not good at that stuff. Like I'm not good at techie things and numbers and, you know, I just, I just want to make art. But uh, anyway, the 12,800 ISO, I mean, that became like pretty instrumental for the, Mm. for the film, for the approach, like shooting in ultra low light, available light situations. And like it, it, it was really, um, it, it really opened up a whole new world, but uh, it does have a little bit of noise. Mm-hmm. It has a little inherent noise, but the thing is, is we kind of liked it. Like it yeah. sort of, it just felt filmic. Like it's one of those subjective things that you can't explain, but it just, we just liked it. Uh, but we did, we did enhance it quite a bit in post. So a lot of the grain in the, we did a whole film pass on the, on the movie set to make it uh, look like, uh, like film. We want it to look like, like it was shot on film. I mean, we, we didn't want to fool anybody. We're obviously very open about the actual tools, but we wanted it to at least feel like evoking that seventies definitely kind of aesthetic. And yeah, the, I mean the, the grade too, like the light and the color grade was also very heavily inspired by that. So it all, it all should work together hopefully. Yeah. And, and you just, you were talking about like low light locations and um, you also said 80 locations, which I had heard before, which is um, kind of insane. Yes. If you could talk about, you know, having to, just the physical task of shooting in 80 locations kind of, <laughs> you know, blows my mind. Um, so if you could talk about going to those locations um, and w- the experience of shooting on those locations. Yeah, I mean, that was really the most magical part of the film. And and honestly, it really made me realize more than any project I've ever worked on as a DP, like how much the location does all the work for you. Like a good location does all the cinematography work for you, like all the lighting work. Uh, and like, we really, really found that. And they scoured the entirety of Thailand, North, South, East, and West beaches, mountains, fields, and, and cities. Uh, and we shot in, in all of them. Uh, like it was, it was a road movie uh, for the filmmakers and for the story. Like we were, on the road a lot and it just became like an intrinsic part of the process and just like moving from different hotels and different areas in Thailand and, and seeing the the diversity of natural beauty of the countryside and, and everything like it was, it was kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, from a cinematography standpoint, it, it really opened my eyes like more than ever before how much um, like really good locations mm-hmm. uh, are just so crucial. And like, they just make you look good. Like they make you as a DP look good because you don't have to do much. Um, so, you know, you save a ton of time on, so you don't have to do big lighting setups at all. Most of the locations we were able to embrace the natural and available light, which was really the, the sort of aesthetic goal of the film in the first place was to, to feel very naturalistic and, and, and real and grounded. And yeah, these locations just looked amazing. Like you didn't have to do anything. Uh, you know, we would turn off some practicals or bulbs that were like behind the camera to create some shape or, or we would flag off some certain windows or openings or stuff to create contrast. But, uh, most of the time that's all we had to do, or maybe add a few practicals just to kind of fill out a space a little bit. But, um, the actual lighting ended up being really minimal because yeah, a beautiful space. Like you just, you don't, you don't need to do a lot. And, um, uh, the physicality of it, it was also just part of it. Like it was just part of the journey. And, um, you know, you just, you just get very used to, um, 
packing your suitcase right. <laughs> and, and unpacking it and repacking it like it, and moving from place to place and getting the lay of the land, finding where the pool is the most important part, uh, locating that, you know, finding where the nearest massage place is to kind of help the back muscles from a week, a week of work and um, getting very downloading a lot of movies for the van rides, <laughs> keeping ourselves busy uh, and occupied for like sometimes seven hour drives. Uh, you know, you just, you just get used to it. Uh, finding your favorite snacks at Seven Eleven. everything, everything in Thailand is Seven Eleven, like every gas station. Wow. But Seven Eleven there's good. Anyone who's been to East or Southeast Asia knows that Seven Eleven outside of the U S is like amazing. Uh, they have all the best snacks. They have like rice balls and sushi and like just the best stuff. And it's fresh. It's not, you know, you're not eating some like stale hot dog. That's just been like rotating for an hour on those weird rolly things. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of great, great road snacks in Thailand for sure. Is it difficult like this? I mean, obviously for what this movie looks like, the fact that it only costs $80 million or whatever it is, it's like kind of, uh, you know, there's movies that cost a lot more that look a lot less good. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still $80 million. So like is, going to a movie of this scale and shooting a whole like thing at this level, um, was that, uh, daunting or was it because it's just so, um, planned and sort of, it seems low key in the way you guys were trying to shoot it. Did that just make it feel like, Oh, we're just shooting our independent movie. I mean, on set, that's what it felt like. Okay. Like there were maybe 400 people on the crew um, total, but most of them were at base camp. And the way that we arranged the logistics of the shoot was like base camp would always be quite a distance away from set to the point where most of us who are on set shooting. So like myself, the electrics, the grips, the sound team, you know, props, like the, the, the people who act, who really have to be there, the ADs, um, we would see base camp once a day, which is for breakfast. And then we would never go back there. Same with the actors. Once they were ready, they would send them to set and they would be on set all day. Um, And so the set itself just felt really small. Like it Mm -hmm. was, you know, 30, 40 people max, which is pretty typical for like an indie film of a decent budget. Um, The difference is we have a few crew members that you wouldn't typically have, like having a dedicated special effects team Mm -hmm. was a first one for me, first time for me. Uh, And that was, that was really cool because you know, they'll, they'll, they're, they're just there and they'll be like, what do you want? What do you want? You want smoke, haze, mist, uh, explosions, puffs, uh, billowing, s- rolling, uh, sparks, like whatever. And they just have a kit and they just, it's like, whatever you want, you call it out and they'll give it to you. Uh, you want like smoke up in the background there. Great. We got you. You want smoke in the foreground. We got it. Uh, it was, that was really fun. And, and we had, we had a stunt team as well. There's quite a few stunts. So they were around and that was, that was also a newbie, but, but I mean, the lighting and camera approach felt like an indie film, mm-hmm. like by design. I mean, that it was, that was what Gareth wanted. He wanted it to feel small, intimate guerrilla style, like did not want it to feel like a, like a big machine. I think he and Greg both have this like allergy to like the big machinery of filmmaking. And, um, and yeah, I mean, the only pressure that I felt really was just like, stepping up to the plate make of, it good yeah and like you got to make it look good really ultimately that's that was the pressure was just like i just i just want it to look good 
uh, I want the lighting to be pretty, <laughs> but, uh, but it wasn't that hard because it was, well, first, I mean, I trusted Greg and Gareth, like they brought me on and they knew what they were doing and they had a plan for this and they had a vision for it. Um, and I trusted, you know, it's like, what are you not going to trust Greg? Like he, I think he knows his stuff. Like he's sort of, you know, made one or two movies before that got look, the Oscar to prove that it. look all right. Exactly. He has the, the gold statue in his bathroom. Um, I didn't say that it's not his bathroom. I don't know where it is. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, that was really the only time I felt the pressure was when I thought about the project overall, right. which when you're making it, you don't, when you're making the project, all you're thinking about is the next day and the next week. And, uh, uh, it was such a marathon, uh, like moving from place to place. I mean, we were talking about it before the road movie aspect of it. Like it's just a lot of moving around and a lot of like, okay, we're done with this portion of the film. Now we have to do this portion. And it was like very compartmentalized in that way, which is, was actually kind of helpful psychologically because you're just not really thinking about like the thing that you're shooting in a month. You're just thinking about the thing you're shooting next week. And, um, uh, well, thankfully we had the thorough prep period to kind of pre-plan the whole movie so that, um, we did all that work ahead of time, but yeah, it was, um, it was definitely daunting just, you know, stepping into that world and like having a studio exec on set and, um, and even just, you know, Gareth as a filmmaker, like, obviously I was familiar with his work and, you know, I want to, I want him to be happy with what, what I'm doing and, I want Greg to be happy. Like that's where all the pressure comes from is it's just my own personal baggage more than anything else. <laughs> and like my own psychological journey of like, you got this and you know, you're here for, you're here for a reason and, and you just got to trust yourself and just go, go with the flow and, and don't overthink. And uh, yeah, uh, that was, that was definitely part of it, but it was, it was a fun part. I mean, it was exhilarating. Like it was, the whole thing was exhilarating and very satisfying ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as we sort of start to wrap up a little bit, um, we sort of asked this of all our guests. Um, if there's a most challenging thing of the shoot and uh, something you're most proud of that when you like take away from it, you're like, oh, this is something I'm using in the future or something like that um, from this shoot. I mean, they can be the same thing, uh, most challenging or whatever, <laughs> but um you know, just sort of, I guess, your takeaway from working on the movie. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, most challenging, I think, was just the physicality of it. And it's ironic that I'm saying that since I wasn't even operating the camera most of the time. So it's not like I was the one suffering in the, you know, tropical heat for 10 hours a day with relentless um, humidity and and bugs and and sweat and and, and that, that was all Gareth. And I, I was sat 20 feet away from him at a monitor pretty much the whole shoot, just like laughing. I, I wasn't, I wasn't laughing. I was crying for him uh, <laughs> and, and for his uh, massage therapist. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it was still very physically difficult for everybody, for the whole crew. I mean, we were shooting in very remote locations. It wasn't just the drives. It was also like a lot of walking and a lot of hiking, a lot of moving around. I mean, people definitely got, got their, got their steps in on this shoot. And, uh, it was also peak COVID. We were all wearing masks like outside and in the heat. Um, that was not a particularly pleasant part of the shoot, but obviously it, it, it needed to be done. And, and, um, 
we also never got shut down for COVID. So that's great. It worked, yeah. <laughs> you know, like as much as, as miserable as it was, like it did what it needed to do. So I have to give it credit. And, um, yeah, just the, just the, I mean, the physicality of it, it's one of those things where I think Gareth and I have talked about it afterwards and we both think back on the shoot and we were like, I don't really know how we did it. Like, I don't really know how we physically did that. Mm-hmm. And, and in the moment you don't think about it cause you're just, um, you're like a shark. Like you just have to swim to make it through to the end of the shooting schedule. And I mean, we shot for over 80 days. So it's like, it just keeps going and you just, uh, at, there's some times where there's, it feels like there's no end in sight and you're like, uh, you know, wow, we're like, we're still shooting this. Like it's un, un, kind of unbelievable. Um, but, uh, eventually by the end of the shoot, I mean, the schedule basically was we started in Bangkok and then we, we ended in Bangkok and then we were on the road in the middle. And so by the end of the road portion, like it actually was quite a relief to have Bangkok on the horizon. We were like, Oh, we have our five final weeks of the shoot in Bangkok and everybody just couldn't wait to get back to like fancy hotel and big city and air conditioning and all this stuff. And so it actually like that compartmentalization actually really helped cope with this, but it was, that was definitely the biggest challenge. Um, but yeah, the most rewarding thing I think is like, I mean, when we started the project, the honest truth is, is like, we didn't know if we would pull it off. Like mm. uh, f- the, nobody had, had really made a film quite like this before, like in terms of this methodology and the approach and using the prosumer gear and, and having the director operate the camera and having a, one of the DPs be remote, like every element of it was different than what's usually done. And, and that extends very much to also like how things went on set, like how we lit, how we interacted with, um, with within the the crew and how like our crew interacted with Gareth because he's the camera operator and the director. So it's, it's, it's just a unique dynamic. And, and we, we came up with all these solutions of how to address that dynamic, but like, we didn't know if any of them would really work. We hoped so. Um, the studio certainly like trusted Gareth and Greg, which was a big part of it. And, and so I did too, but, um, all of us in secret were sort of like, well, you know, we'll see. Right. (laughs) And like, we think, we think this will work. Um, but it was, it was, it was a leap of faith. Like it, 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 uh, in some ways. And I think I'm just most proud of the fact that it did like it, it ultimately it worked. I mean, there were so many things that we approached so differently than any way that I've ever thought about them. Um, in terms of like embracing natural light and embracing flaws and not always having a full plan and just sort of being open and spontaneous to things. And this is the way Gareth likes to work, but I came from indie films where you have 20 shoot days. So you, you, there isn't a lot of room for spontaneity. Like you sort of have to plan everything on a 20 day shoot because you don't have the time to play. Like you just don't have that freedom. Um, And I think this really like, showed me and encouraged me how important that approach is and how like the process of discovery is really, really crucial to like finding nuggets of authenticity and, and genuine moments of, 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 of acting and genuine moments of framing and lighting. And like that little element of the unplanned and the spontaneous can be scary, but, and it doesn't always, it sometimes fails, but you just kind of keep at it until you, until you all you need is one thing this is what we would always say every day 
we would shoot four hours a day. Like we would shoot four hours of, of raw footage per day, which is a ton. It's like a very high shooting <laughs> ratio. Um, and this was partially because of the, the, the camera, like that was part of the, what it allowed us to, to be able to do was just like, shoot, shoot, shoot. Um, and, uh, and we would always say like every day we were like, all we need is two minutes. Like we're going to shoot four hours of footage, but all that really matters is that in those four hours is two minutes of gold of just like perfect, the perfect moment, the perfect turn, the perfect people landing in the shot and just the perfect timing and the perfect composition and the light is just the right. And all you need is two minutes. And then in the edit, we're just going to put all those two minutes together and it'll just be all the best moments from the entire shoot and everything else will end up on the cutting room floor and no one, will, no one will ever see it. No one will see the shots where the lighting wasn't perfect and no one will see the shots where it was flat or where we missed the camera move or the framing wasn't right. And like all that stuff will be gone. And, um, and yeah, I just, I found that process really inspiring and I want to try and do that again. Like, I think there's something so authentic and real feeling and immersive about the final film uh, and it's, it's all because of that. It's just because of the way we shot it and, um, and every other element, the design and the VFX and everything that all was built around that approach as well. So I think it all ends up like creating this, yeah, this holistic feeling in the end. And, um, I mean, I, I hope it comes across. I think it comes across. I, I, I definitely right. think it does. <laughs> yeah. And it's a cool way to make a movie like that. You know, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a hard sell. It's a, it's a fantasy world sci-fi. It's like, it's hard to sell that to an audience. You want it to feel as real as possible. And I think, I think, yeah, this was a great way to do it. Very difficult way to do it, but a great way to do it. Definitely. Um, (laughs) I guess uh, the last question is one I believe you've heard before. It's the big kahuna final question, which is just, what's the last great movie you watched? Yes. Uh, very important question. Uh, the last great movie I watched trying to pick one. Okay. I I don't know if this is necessarily a great movie, but it's, it's a movie I really enjoyed. Uh, a couple weeks ago, they re-released Christine in theaters, which Mm, is this, uh, I I had to miss that in theaters. Uh, I was very upset about it. Yeah. So I'd never seen it before. This is John Carpenter directed Stephen King adaptation. And the premise is Gonzo. I mean, it's basically a killer car, essentially. Uh, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's the core of the premise is that there's there's like an evil car. Uh, and it like possesses this nerdy high school kid and then he becomes like a like a bad boy. And uh, and I had never seen it. And this movie is insane. I mean, it's just completely bonkers. And it doesn't all work. Like a lot of it's very 80s. Um it's like very misogynistic and very like that kind of eighties high school dynamic, like the nerds and the jocks and all that, like revenge of the nerds. It's like very much in that world, um, which does not necessarily age well, but um, just a fascinating movie, like just a weird, weird, fascinating movie. And I, I just loved it. The cinematography is stunning, like genuinely beautiful. It's shot on like crappy anamorphics wide open. The image is like falling apart. Um, it's very dark and moody and beautiful. It's like tons of steady cam, great moves, great blocking, uh, like classic eighties cinema, like John Carpenter, uh, blockbustery kind of stuff. And, um, I loved it. I didn't think, I, I don't know if it's a great movie, but I, I loved it. I, it was fascinating. 
And I learned a lot <laughs> from watching it. And there's some great special effects in it too. So yeah, I re- uh, if anyone's looking for a very esoteric, strange eighties movie with a great aesthetic, um, yeah, check out Christine. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, thank you so much uh, to Oren Sofer, the cinematographer behind our film for today, Gareth Edwards, the creator. Um, thanks so much for coming on and um, everybody go check it out in theaters. I saw it. It's very good. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. What an interview, huh? Sorry, I just forgot Trent wasn't there. That's right, folks. Those are the kind of poor jokes you can look forward to on the Trentless episodes of this show. Yeah, thank you so much to Oren Sofer, co-cinematographer of The Creator, for coming on the show. He was super cool. I also want to give a shout out to his publicist, Katie, who was very nice, um, and helped set up the screening that we went to and helped set up the interview. And um, it all... It all worked out in the end in a manner in which I found very wonderful. In terms of what we've got going on next week, I'm not sure. Um, It might be a discussion of the creator. We have not missed that we still have not discussed Bottoms, which Trent does want to discuss. Um, We decided to get this one out or these two episodes out earlier because we felt, you know, A, that SEO um, for getting... um, the episode out as the creator was coming out. And also I did feel like I wanted uh, this movie to get whatever buzz I could give it because it's um, a $80 million high concept sci-fi original blockbuster. And I think that that's awesome. I'm also a big John David Washington fan because I'm a big Tenet fan and seeing him in a movie is always a delight. Next week might be a discussion of Bottoms. It might be a discussion of The Creator, or we might just have to get into another interview because I don't know if you've noticed folks, but it's October 1st today and that's kind of a spooky month and maybe we've got a spooky interview lined up. Um... We wouldn't want to torture you with a bad episode. I wonder if anybody saw that pun coming. If this joke is bad, I might have to X it out of the edit. Um, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to put some clues as to what the interview might be for. But, anyways, um, if you didn't catch that, don't worry. Just wait a week, maybe two weeks. And uh, you'll find out. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much, Oren Sofer. Um, This was a great interview, great episode, and can't wait to continue the show. If you want to listen to it, you can listen to us on any major podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pandora, you know, for all you Pandora heads out there. And we are also on social media at Twitter and Instagram. Go check us out. And as always, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys.